Welcome to Hearts of Fire, the podcast for the team working every day at BioBridge Global to save and enhance lives through the healing power of human cells and tissue. We're happy you're listening, and thank you for everything you do. And now, here's the host of Hearts of Fire, Adrian Mendoza. All right, well, welcome to the next episode of Hearts of Fire, our podcast. And today, my special guest is Emmanuel Casasola from Global Quality. So welcome, Emmanuel. How are you. you doing? Thank you. I'm doing good. It's been uh, it's been a fun time, you know, and I miss working with you directly, but we still indirectly interact all the time. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it feels like sometimes we go through like a, a spell where we don't like interact or visit for weeks at a time, and then suddenly like well, there's something that needs our attention, and yep. we work together. But it's strange now that I don't see you as, as often. But, we, but it's kind of like riding a bike, right? We jump right into it, and we're able to, to get onto it, and then yep. we, we go another couple of weeks, radio silence, and then we're back into it, right? That's what <laughs> that's the beauty of, like, getting to know your, your workers and, like, developing a rapport and just trust, and then, you know, you can just hop back into the conversation no matter what it is, and everything's, like, normal again. So. Yeah. But tell me where you're originally from. Sure. Yeah, I am originally was born in Mexico City. Um, so I only lived there for one year. Uh, in that first year of life, my uh, dad immigrated to the U.S., so he was a dentist. Uh, but, you know, the economic, um, you know, environment wasn't what it, you know, needed to be. And so he was like, let, let me take a chance. So he immigrated to the U.S., spent a year here, uh, you know, getting everything set up. And then he sent for my mom and me and my older brother. And uh, we were raised in San Antonio, so I consider myself a San Antonian. Uh, I grew up in the north central side of town, uh, went to Robert E. Lee High School uh, here in town, and went to the University Incarnate Word here in San Antonio. So yeah, I'm, I say I was born in Mexico, but I've, I'm also from San Antonio. Not only was your dad a dentist, but he was also a musician, right? Like oh, you've, yeah. you've got your musical talents, I think, <laughs> from at least him partly. Tell me more about that in terms of your musical uh, affinity and your love of music and yeah. guitars. Yeah, I think culturally, you know, uh, that Hispanic culture, you know, music is very much ingrained. You know, it, you know, you, we listen to music when we're sad. We listen to music when we're happy. And so uh, growing up, uh, my dad was a Beatles fan. He was a Creedence Clearwater Revival fan. Uh, you know, we listened to classic rock pretty much nonstop. But we also listen to that traditional uh, Mexican music, the, you know, the, the boleros, the, the trios, stuff like that. And so, you know, very, very, growing up very early, I wanted to play the guitar. Uh, my dad played the guitar for like 40 years. So, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, pick it up if you want to. And so I was uh, seven, eight years old when I started picking up the guitar and he taught me and I sounded terrible probably for about five years. As any uh, person who's picked up a guitar knows, you sound terrible and you know you probably sound like you're plucking away at something that's not a guitar and can't ever make music but you just have to stick with it you you strum and you find time to to you know kind of hone your talents and uh yeah i've been playing guitar and now my son who's six years old he really wants to learn how to play the guitar and so i i bought him a little one a youth size guitar and i'm kind of teaching them the basics like okay here's how you put your fingers here's how you strum and uh, it's pretty cool to see that, you know, because my dad taught me when I was little, and now I'm going to get to pass that on to, to my son. So, yeah, it's it's been fun. I love it. You know, I, and that's something we, I think, share in common in, in terms of a love of music. I I didn't play a lot of instruments. I, I did 
do trumpet and I never learned to play guitar. It's one of the things I, I actually probably want to, you know, take on at some point is learn the guitar. Because I'd love to be able to sing and do acoustic. But I was... You're a I, phenomenal singer. I love I to sing. That, I don't know that people know that about you. <laughs> But you are a phenomenal singer. <laughs> well, it's fun when we have our our karaoke sessions. We've kind of gone uh, do a karaoke, you know, uh, you know, night or, or and it's been so much fun to kind of see the the talents we all have. Mm -hmm. I love to sing. Uh, it's it's kind of like ingrained in the family too. I, it's been passed down. We used to sing in the cars all the time. You know, on road trips, family road trips, we would go back and forth from Oklahoma to California. Yeah, we would belt it out <laughs> in the car. And some of those songs, you know, whenever I hear them, just bring back those memories. And that's why you like Route 66, right? I do. I love that song. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm into the old jazz standards. I like the old country music. I uh, have a lot of relatives who are musicians or uh, you know artists in some way or another. But it's. It's a lot of fun, and I think one time we to we toyed with the idea of creating a band here. Yeah. Do you I, think we should still do that? I still think we should. I know that and even David also has brought together some of the various musicians, or tried to, and uh, for whatever reason, either, I don't know, we, we don't have the time. I think COVID got in the way last COVID time. COVID did get in the way a lot of a lot of initiatives, I think, that we were <laughs> trying to do, but... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think if anybody out there has the, the, you know, the desire, just wanting to play together as musicians, I'm all for it. I think it would be great. You know, we find a space. I'll yeah. offer up my office as a rehearsal space if we want to. So Yeah, a lunchtime lunch band. That'd yeah. be fun. Yeah, jam sessions. <laughs> <laughs> so we know you're the executive director of Global Quality, but how do you explain what you do to people outside the organization? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting thing, right? Because when people ask me, oh, you know, where do you work? I'm like, oh, BioBridge Global. Uh, we run the local blood bank, but we also have a lab. And, and now we're in, going into biomanufacturing, which is totally cool and, and new. And their eyes kind of glaze over sometimes. <laughs> and they're like, oh, quality. Okay. But if somebody asks me a little more, well, what exactly do you do? And, and then I start to get into like the, the type of things that we contribute or support the organization with but i kind of came up with like the five c's right mm -hmm. compliance obviously is fundamental we're heavily regulated um you know the fda but then also because we have international customers we have to follow those standards from all over you know the world and so compliance is kind of the first c uh, but then we also have to think about the customer experience right and w what is it that our customers expect what are they requiring and how are we delivering upon that? And can we really delight the customer? Right? That, that, that a big initiative uh, from a couple of years ago, are we delighting our customer? And then the, the third C is continuous improvement, right? Mm -hmm. We can't rest on our laurels. Yay, we got through an FDA inspection. Everything is great. There's always something that we can improve upon, something that we can do better. And so that's the third C. And then that kind of just starts to build upon what I call the culture of quality, right? And that everybody's bought in. Everybody understands that it's not just compliance. You know, there's other things that we have to, to, to make sure that we're doing in a high quality fashion. And then the last C is community. You know, because we're here uh, to serve a mission. The mission is very important to all of us. And it impacts our community. I think we saw that recently with, you know, Uvalde at, at the end of May. How impactful the work that we do and how important it is to so many people. And so that community can't be something that we forget. So that that's when, when I start to get on my soapbox with people, 
those are the things that I start to really, you know, uh, kind of try to relay that that's what we do, uh, not only, you know, global quality, but the organization itself. I think that's a really good way of explaining it. I never thought of that myself. And that just goes to show you, you know, when you, when, uh, you, you have a legacy you kind of build in terms of the department I, mm-hmm. I had, I led global quality, but I, you always look to that person who's going to be able to step up and lead in a new way and reinvigorate and think about things in different ways. And, and that sort of sums up quality in a really good way. I've never thought of that before. And I think that really encapsulates everything. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I think about a lot of stuff in my downtime. How can I simplify, you know, I think part of the the thing that trips people up sometimes, just given in an environment where you're thinking about quality, right? They try to make things complicated. Mm. And and you and I have always talked about... It's the wrong C, right? Yeah. <laughs> complicated, it's the wrong C. Yeah, I, I like that. I didn't even think about that being a C, but you and I have talked about how let's keep it simple. Let's mm-hmm. path of least resistance, right? We have to comply, obviously, to the different standards and regulations, but that doesn't mean you have to do something too complicated or too, you know, uh, something that's going to make make it easy to fail, right? Let's try to simplify it as much as possible and, and serve our mission. That's that's what we're here for. Exactly. So um, how did you wind up in this field? Yeah, it's kind of a, have you ever seen how some people shop and they they have that direct line through the aisles and it's really nice and orderly? That was not me, right? And, you know, I started in a laboratory very young. I was 19 years old, uh, starting in what we call sample accessioning, right? So sample receipts. I was receiving samples. Um, You know, this was my first, you know, real job. I was still in college. And uh, about a year into that, you know, I always was very inquisitive. I always wanted to know, why are we doing things this way? You know, why do we do this? And, you know, my, my boss at the time, the lab manager, she was always like, you know, you ask a lot of really good questions, you know, have you ever thought about, you know, you know, doing this, you know, full time? Like, oh, no, no. I wanted to be a teacher, right? I was like, I don't want to do this. But as time went on, and I, I found that I had an affinity uh, for it. And then, uh, you know, one of our quality managers uh, left, and we were going through our ISO accreditation. And, you know, there wasn't anybody to kind of gather all the things that we needed to do for compliance. And I, kind of volunteered. I was just like, hey, I can do this. And so, um, yeah, I became the de facto quality deputy <laughs> at, uh, for that. Uh, for that, and I was 20 years old in my first audit. And uh, yeah, I, I, we, we were successful and, uh, you know, we maintained accreditation with minimal findings. And uh, we had a laboratory in Dallas that was going through accreditation. They sent me up there. And all of a sudden, you know, this career in quality started to be like a real thing, right? And, and I was working in the food industry. It was food testing. So it was food safety, food microbiology, environmental sciences, and stuff like that. And so I was just kind of honing my skills in that environment. It was another heavily regulated environment. So we dealt with FDA, USDA, uh, and various other standards bodies. Well, I, you know, fast forward that as I continue to uh, you know, progress in that career and in, in different organizations, I ended up working for a company that had a hundred locations spread across Canada, U.S., and Mexico, and I was their director of quality. So this is now like 10 to 12 years later, right? I'm on the road a lot. Uh, I'm uh, making sure that they are complying to what they need to. 
but then I'm also helping out customers in, uh, you know, some aspects business development. So I was helping them, you know, with their sampling plans and testing plans and how they were going to comply to the regulators. Uh, I was helping with acquisition of new laboratories and things like that. I was just kind of doing a catch-all, right? I was just doing whatever I needed to for the organization. And, but I was on the road a lot and I was a new dad. Uh, my son was born in uh, 2016. And uh, that's hard, you know, it's hard to leave home. And then uh, my dad had his first heart attack. Uh, and so I was like, man, I gotta stay home more. I, I really gotta, you know, do something different. I, I graduated for, from University Incarnate Word. I had, you know, all these years of experience and I was like, I was looking for another job in the food, you know, in area, food safety area. But then I came across a job listing and it was for Qualtex Laboratories as Director of Quality Assurance. And I read the job description, I'm like, Kappas, you know, okay, auditing, okay, uh, continuous improvement. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much everything I do. And then it's a laboratory. And then I looked it up and I'm like, oh, blood and plasma. I don't know if I can do this, right? And so I kind of had that self-check moment, but I, you know, I was like, oh, I'll put it out there. You know, the worst thing that they can say is no, right? And so then, uh, you know, I put my resume together and polished it up and uh, I got a call and they were like, hey, uh, you know, we know you're in a different industry, but, you know, you do have a lot of experience. It's relevant. You were in a regulated environment. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I interacted with the FDA on pretty much a monthly basis and stuff like that. You know, I, I started talking about everything that I did. And then you and I interviewed together mm -hmm. and we just hit it off, I think, very well as far as I left going, man. I really want to work there. Uh, I really thought that, you know, the organization was really special, blood banking, testing, uh, all the stuff that, that we're doing. And so, and I remember uh, Ward asked me a question, who Ward was at the COO at the time, and he asked me a question in the interview, and he goes, you know, how do you reconcile, you know, the fact that we're very different than what you're doing you know, historically? And I said, well, have samples that need to be tested and you have results that need to go out to customers. I mean, that's pretty much what you're doing, right? And so it's just the sample matrix is different and the testing technology might be a little bit different, but samples go in and results go out, you know? And, and so I kind of just dumbed it down as much as I could. And so that's how it ended up at uh, Qualtex Laboratory. And so, yeah, that that's how I ended up in this field. <laughs> wow, I, I love it. And, you know, you have a, uh, a, slogan so to speak just like i have my slogan i i say you know take the time it takes and it'll take less yeah. time it's not my own like i i've just used it in, in my career for meaning so many different things but for you it's it's getting comfortable tell us what it is yeah, comfortable. It's be, be comfortable being uncomfortable i love and that I, and i tell that to to the team a lot uh, in fact they all somebody told me that when they were leaving the organization they were like I took a, I took a chance on this job. I had to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I was like, oh no, it backfired. But <laughs> I was really happy for that individual, actually. She had a good opportunity. But it, it's about, you know, true growth doesn't happen unless you're uncomfortable. Unless you're stretching yourself out and doing something that you didn't know you could do. And so that's, that's what that means. Being comfortable, being uncomfortable is just, you know, how do you put yourself in those positions? And when you're in uncomfortable positions, like an FDA inspection, or mm -hmm. a client audit, or an angry customer call. That's an uncomfortable position. You have to be okay dealing with that and then being calm enough to say, okay, this is what we're gonna do. This is how we're gonna resolve it. 
this is how we're going to get the, uh, the supporting information for the regulators so that they're not screaming at us and stuff like that. So it, it's just about personal growth and it's about being able to handle the situation as best as you can. Yeah. You know, when you look back at your, at your dad's story, you know, he's been a big, been a big inspiration in your life. Do you think about those challenges, the, the getting comfortable being uncomfortable? Does that resonate with you like on a personal level and your you're looking at your dad's path and his yeah. his challenges he met with. Yeah, definitely. You know, it, it, being an immigrant uh, in the the '80s probably wasn't very uh, easy, um, and having to learn new language, having to adapt to a new you know, culture, you know, societal norms, uh, being away from your family for a full year, you know, the, all of those things. I, I put myself in his position. I'm like, I don't know that I could have done that, right? Um, but yeah, it's that whole, you know, you have to do the work to do, you know, to, to progress, to, to have that better life. And so that, that does resonate with me. And so, uh, yeah, it, he is a, a big inspiration, continues to be. Uh, you know, we lost my dad in, in 2018, but he was a cadaveric donor. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, when we talk about mission, right, and, and I tell people this all the time, all three business units touched my dad's life at the end of his life, right? He received numerous blood transfusions that extended his life uh, when he was in ICU. Uh, the cross matching was done at IRL, which at the time was in Qualtex. And then when he passed, he was a cadaveric donor. And you know, we, co- we collected, we recovered from, uh, from my dad and we produced product. And so that legacy is just you know, very special. It, it's what continues to motivate. And I, and I know that there are families just like me that had a similar story and it's just, it's so uh, inspirational to continue to do what's best so that we can continue to have that for other families and have an impact on other people's lives. So, yeah. Well, I know your dad would be very proud of you, what, what you've accomplished and where you're Thank at. You. Uh, I think we're all proud of you, too. We, we love working with you. You've got a fun-loving spirit. Yeah. You just uh, embrace new challenges and encourage your team in really great ways. Um, it's it's been a joy, and thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Hearts of Fire. Thank Emmanuel. you for having me. This was fun. I can't believe the time's already up. <laughs> we could go on forever. I know. <laughs> Executive producers of Hearts of Fire are Heather Hughes and Jay Pajinski. Your director is David King, with technical assistance from Matt Flores. Our logo was designed by Roberto Esquivel. Our host is Adrian Mendoza. If you have an idea for Hearts of Fire, please feel free to email us, heartsoffire at biobridgeglobal.org.